and Mark and Jeremy. Yeah, two Crowder peas in a pod. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you know what a Crowder pea is? Anybody here know what a Crowder pea is? All right. Some of you do. All right. Well, <clears throat> you know, you never know when you get in a city this size. <clears throat> you know, I have two Bibles tonight and not even a glass of water. I cannot believe this is the first time in the 20, how long have I been pastoring here? 23 years that I have not had a glass of water. Can you believe this? Uh, and I don't have a glass. Usually a, one glass means one hour. Two glasses means two hours. Two glasses and one Bible means three hours. Two glasses and two Bibles means, oh, that doesn't really mean any of that. But uh, I thought that was very odd that there was no. Did you read in the readers, recent Reader's Digest that story about a guy by the name of Odd? Did you read that? Seriously? It was in this last Reader's Digest. Guy, did you see that? Well, the man was always reading Reader's Digest. This guy's name was Odd. No, I'm serious. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's in the Reader's Digest. At any rate, his, his name was Odd. And, of course, everybody who saw him, they addressed him as Odd. They just got where they call him Odd. And they would say, oh, that's Odd, you know. <laughs> well, <clears throat> he lived all of his life, and he decided... That he had had enough before he died on his deathbed. He made out a will and he said he wanted to leave his name off the tombstone. That he no more wanted to be referred to as odd. (laughs) So he died and they buried him and they put up a tombstone and they just said born 1943, he died 1995. No name. The very first person. <laughs> Listen to my story. I'll, I'll comment on this later. The very first person who walked up and looked at his grave, and there was no name, it was a lady. She scratched her head and said, That's odd. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> No, I'm serious. It was in the Reader's Digest. I mean, it really was. Now, you know, sometimes there's a lot of funny things happen to me. I did not make that up, you know. You know. All right. Brother Manley read. He always reads the Reader's Digest. I thought, thought he did. I came back from, from uh, vacation one time. We had been up in Lookout Mountain over Denver, and I went to Buffalo Bill's grave. And when I came back, I, I told the kids, I said, I uh, went to Buffalo Bill's grave, and I said, uh, why'd you do that? I mean, he's just, uh, he's just dead. He's just up there. I said, I know, but I went and talked with him. And <laughs> they said, oh, you didn't talk with him? I said, oh, yes, I had a conversation with him. They said, tell me about it. I said, well, I went up there, and I looked down. I said, what are you doing down there, Buffalo Bill? And he said, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. Uh, it was bad, huh? I'll tell you. That's odd. A lot of embarrassing things happens to Pastor Grant. I Really, it's just like everybody picks on me, you know? And... Uh, 
sometimes I, I you know, I, I, I think I really have a complex. I, I get a little bit afraid to say much to anybody because I get picked on so much. <clears throat> we bought, uh, the church bought this, this car for us, and I do appreciate the, the Cadillac that you bought, but they, they told me when I bought it, I said, they said, you know, the thing about it, this thing just holds the road so good. The faster you go in it, the closer the road it gets. But we had a malfunction in ours. You just get close to the road before you go. And uh, so I took it over to the to the shop, and I told the guys, I said, you know, something wrong with the suspension on it. And <laughs> the mechanic got in it and came back in and said, you know, it's it's always that way. When you bring your car in to get it fixed, it don't work anymore. It doesn't malfunction. So, you know, it just happens that way. Charlie's had problems with his pickup truck, and he took it in, took it in. Every time he'd take it in, it was okay. So the mechanic says it's okay. Well, when I got out in the, the air-conditioned office there and went sat down in the car, it went down again. <laughs> so the mechanic was <laughs> watching, and he came out there and said, Oh, he said, it, it is malfunctioning. He said, would you get out? And I got out. He sat down in it, and he didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going to tell you what the rest of the story is all about. (laughs) No. Well, they don't make them like they used to, you know. (laughs) That's odd. Well... (laughs) Oh, my, I'll tell you. <clears throat> we always have fun here at Calvary Gospel Church, and too. A lot of our guests who are here, some of you perhaps have never been here before. Uh, I just want you to know before I finish this, okay, I am not the corniest person in this church. All right. And if you want a verification of that, call my house when there's nobody at home. Listen to our answering <laughs> service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. <clears throat> my, 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 I'll tell you. That is odd, yes. Praise God. I do welcome all of our guests to Calvary Gospel Church. I have been talking for a good number of weeks about separation. Now, as you know, we've had other visitors to come by, or we've had visitors to come by, and I have not uh, been on a continuous roll on this subject, but nevertheless, I have kind of stayed at this, hoping to teach five or six lessons and preach two or three times about this. Now, tentatively, I plan on concluding this subject this coming Sunday night. But because of so many classes being held on Thursday night and so many people being in various classes, I have not been able to convey to the majority of our congregation uh, a feeling that I have relative to uh, our time in the world in which we presently live. I believe we live in perilous times. I believe that a lot of things are happening I believe it is my primary responsibility 
to the church to keep the church informed as to the will of God for the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm talking about this this congregation. You you have to understand that that the church has a structure that goes beyond the boundaries of a local assembly. This is why we have our general conferences and other various meetings in which preachers can be ministered to. But I'm addressing a subject concerning separation because we're not hearing much about this subject nowadays. Uh, in fact, in, in, in a lot of churches, it's, it's almost like a dirty word. The truth of the matter is, uh, just a few short years ago, regardless of what Christian church you, you uh, uh, affiliated yourself with, uh, you would be acquainted quickly with the subject of separation. And the reason why is because it's addressed in the Bible uh, in so many places, all the way from the Garden of Eden to the final pulling of the curtain on time in the book of Revelation. Outside of salvation, it is the uh, thing spoken of most in the Bible. And I have always felt, now you will hear me uh, repeat myself on several occasions tonight, and some of you who have sat through all these, you may say, well, this is getting to be kind of a uh, an old hat thing, so to speak. But for the sake of a good number of our young people and teachers and, and instructors who have been in various classrooms who were not in the sessions, please understand that I feel very strongly about this. I feel it's something that I, I must do. I feel it's something that is absolutely necessary. So uh, when I'm repeating myself, I am only trying to convey a message uh, to our entire congregation. Now, the the thing about it is, and I, I have made mention this, that, that uh, when, when it comes to separation... It is the, the thing that God stresses more in the Bible, uh, when it comes to uh, subject, rather, outside of salvation, it is the subject that God addresses more in the Bible. And I think that as a pastor, that we do an injustice to the cause that we represent if we do not emphasize on the same basis or perhaps with the same uh, ratio uh, the subject in which God addresses. In other words, some things are, are very meaningful to God, but perhaps he does not stress that particular subject like he would some other subject. Uh, Jesus talked about the Pharisees who uh, did some things that were very important, these things you ought to have done, not to leave the others undone. And what he said was, he said that, that you are not addressing some of the weightier matters of the law. And then there are certain names down through Scripture that are found throughout the Bible. Uh, the, the, the name of Jezebel, who was a wicked queen or wife of Ahab, the king of Israel. Uh, Jezebel was a rebellious woman a contentious woman, 
She was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. And you will find her name mentioned in several passages of the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, concerning the church at Thyatira. And then you will find also the name Balaam mentioned. And there's, in other words, there are certain situations in the scripture that occurred in which it seems as if God never really got it off of his mind. Uh, Korah, for an example, who, along with Moses' sister Miriam, led a rebellious uh, encounter against Moses. Uh, his name is mentioned in the scripture several times. Uh, and the thing that I want to to stress to you is that regardless of what you may feel about the subject that I am talking about, even to the point of maybe you feeling a little hostile about it, uh, I feel duty-bound to address uh, this subject because it's addressed so much by God. In other words, how can I be a representative of God And fairly represent his wishes without addressing the things that obviously are important to God. And I believe this is a subject that is. Now, tonight I want to read from Matthew 5, 13. And I will read only one verse of scripture to start with. Of course, the entire series of lessons that we're talking about comes from 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, John uh, Matthew 5, 13, if you'd be so kind as to stand for the reading of our scripture uh, text tonight. And, and, and this particular passage is usually taught in a different way. But, but I do see a connection. Matthew 5, 13, but ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherein shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of Men. 23 years ago, when I became the pastor of this church, I remember preaching a message from this. I don't know how long I've been here, but just a few short months, and I titled the message, A Good for Nothing Christian. Now, the thing about it is, there, there's really no such thing. But nevertheless, uh, to, to convey the message, I felt that I should use that title, and at that time I made the same expression. In other words, how can you be like Christ and be no good? Because that's a word, what the word Christian means. So, uh, you know, the title itself has a, a contradiction uh, in it. But what I want to talk about tonight, and this, this is, is no contradiction, because this is what the Lord said. He talks about salt that has lost his savor. And we are the salt of the earth. And the word savor here means preserving factor or its power to preserve. 
So I want to talk about savorless salt. And there is such a thing, you know. And you may be seated. Now, we talked about the term world and separation from the world. The, the term world comes from the Greek word cosmos, and it, 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 it is referring in the Bible to the way in which Satan has set up his kingdom. Uh, there is a particular order in which he has set up his kingdom. Now, what John is saying in 1 John 2.15, we're not to love that kingdom nor anything that comes out of that kingdom. Now, see, that's a, that's a very important thing that we need to understand. That there are certain things that come out of the kingdom, but because they come out of the kingdom, accompanying with some of those things are ministering spirits. Now, when I say ministering spirits, spirits, see, there are angels that are not on the good side, so to speak. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there are spirits that are behind certain things. And we need to understand this. And then, of course, that that the when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the planet Earth. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, I, I don't find anything in the Bible that tells us that we should not care for the planet Earth. We are stewards over this Earth. And while I do believe that a lot of our ecologists... Uh, naturalists, that they take some of these things too far because they make God, they make nature God. And the truth of the matter is, uh, nature is, is, is the, what I would call the hinder part of God. Moses was in the mountain and the Lord passed by and the Lord would not show Moses' face. But the Bible says that, that when the Lord passed by, that Moses saw the backside of, or the hinder part, or the lower part of God. And basically, then he wrote the book of Genesis. It's called the book of the beginnings. Now, I, I feel that what he actually saw was, he saw God as God uh, weaved himself carefully into in, in the, to the making of, of the planet Earth. In other words, God in nature. This is what he saw. And, and he wrote about it. But, but to take anything that, that God has created and make a God out of that is idolatry. Because we serve the Lord and Him only do we serve. Now, where we left off, the last time I taught on a Thursday night, and I had preached the message on Sunday morning and also on Sunday night, but on Thursday night, we left off and we talk about that Satan has organized his world into, he has organized rather his kingdom and he has incorporated into the political, the cultural, the economic and the religious system of our world. And uh, I think that's pretty easy for us to see how that, that he can do this. I, I think an example of this, let's talk about the medical profession, how that that uh, through the medical profession, now abortions are being conducted, which is the taking of a human life. And we may have some people here that would disagree with that. But I find in the Bible that many great men of God were actually called before they were born. 
John the Baptist was one that was called. Jacob was one that was called. And, and you will find that at conception, God dealt with people inside of, uh, of their mother's womb. And, and, and actually called them. In other words, God began to influence them even prior to birth. Now, God has taken, I say God, the devil has taken the medical profession and has created, uh, you know, a life-destroying uh, circumstance or situation. This is also true in the agricultural ranks where uh, drugs are, are being raised that, that pollute and destroy young people and, and the human race. Uh, alcohol, for example, uh, uh, drugs of all different kinds. Some drugs are very valuable, but but some are are uh, addictive and and are not considered for medical use. And and so as a result, uh, they become very uh, harmful. Uh, to us spiritually as well as physically. Now, <clears throat> also we find that that in, in the political world, this 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 can also be true that that the devil can can blind people momentarily and and, and raise up political leaders who will destroy uh, the freedom of individuals to worship God the way that uh, the Bible tells us that we should worship God. This is the reason why that we encourage everyone to go to the polls and vote. We don't tell you how to vote, but but uh, we we try to get you to to pay careful attention to uh, the beliefs uh, and and the character of political figures. And uh, no, nobody can tell me that that what you what you do in the, your own privacy is is not reflected in time in, in, into a policy. It becomes law. And, and this is what we have to be very, very careful about. So basically we were starting by reviewing a little bit, by just simply saying that, that, that the two kingdoms that we find, that's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and, of course, there is reference in the Bible as to how these came about. We'll, we'll not get into that tonight because we've already touched that. But, but they, that they are separate and they have no fellowship with each other. In fact, they are hostile the one toward the other. This is the reason why the Bible teaches us not to love the world nor anything that comes out of the world. So we have to understand that there's hostility and and that that Satan, uh, who was once uh, one of the archangels, that he lost his estate because he tried to make himself equivalent or equal to God. And when this happened, then of course uh, there was war in heaven, and and he he lost his position. But Jesus had this to say in John ten ten: The thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. And the, and the word Jesus actually means Savior. Uh, when you go back to the, to, to the original Hebrew, we know that it's actually talking about Jehovah the Old Testament, Jehovah. 
uh, is made salvation or has become salvation. So they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now if you turn to Revelation 19, and I'll not be reading all these scriptures, but I probably will be calling on, on many of you to read some of these scriptures. If you turn to Revelation, I'm sorry, I have 19. I don't think it's 19. So let me just uh, take a quick look. Uh, Revelation 12. I'm going to take out my pen and correct my, my notes. Revelation 12. Uh, this, uh, this talks about, uh, this, t- this talks about what takes, takes place, uh, what, what took place. And, and now what we want to do is, is just read, uh, let's read verse, uh, Verse 11, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Now, he is called the old dragon, or he is called Apollyon, which means destroyer. So we, we find that, that Satan carries with him this thought or this connotation of destruction, whereas Jesus takes with him the thought or the connotation of, of redemptive uh, or redemption or uh, Savior. So uh, all good and all evil is based upon uh Actually, the two kingdoms, uh, what takes place with God and what takes place with, uh, with the devil. Now, we, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. We want to talk about Jesus Christ the Savior, or God the Savior, before God became man, uh, and I do believe that God became man. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. I think the big confusing factor among Trinitarians concerning the deity is that that some people want to make him all deity and some people want to make him all man. But he was both God and he was man. Uh, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, and I, I'm going to make this this statement, because I, I believe this with all my heart, I think that, that some Trinitarians misunderstand oneness people because many oneness people have placed Jesus Christ only in the deity area, and they have overlooked, totally overlooked his humanity. And so they say, well, yeah, well, to you he's God. Yes, he is. He is. There's, there's no doubt about it. But he was also man. See, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man. Christ Jesus. See, he became man in, in order to bring us to God. Now, God became man. And the true identity of Jesus Christ was, was God himself. But but you have to understand that that he was man in, in, in all respects like me or any other person here but yet he was also God now as a man he, he could not rule the world 
as, as a man, uh, he could, as a man, there's one thing he could do, as a man now, there's one thing he could do, and that is he could save man. Now, you may say, what is God? Well, if God could save man any other way, he would not have had to become man. But he became man in order to shed blood. And he became the perfect man, knowing no sin. So he came into the world, and he became the savior of the world. It was necessary for God to robe himself in human flesh, to come into the world, to save the world. And when we read about the the man's side of God in the Bible, he is spoken of as the, the Son of God. See? But he also had a, the ability to forgive sins, for only God can do that. See? But, but only the blood of Jesus Christ could take away, totally take away, those sins. Now... We love him because that he first loved us. Now, that may sound like a, a little bit different scripture to be reading when you're talking on separation, but if you turn to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and this talks about the, the belief that, I say the belief, uh, it talks about God's desire to have uh, the Jewish people to believe a particular thing about himself. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, he is God and he is worthy of our love. Why? Because we are his creation. In other words, none of us would be here. We would not have the ability to love anything. If God had not created us or made us. In other words, we are uh, his handiwork. Uh, he made us. And, and he has every right in the world uh, to expect us to, to love him. Now, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and because that man took on sinful human nature, every man is born into sin. He is then shaping an iniquity. In other words, he becomes a sinner uh, because that he has these, this fallen nature. And sin is described in the Bible as a transgression against the law of God. Now, the law was laid down in the Old Testament. It's picked up in the New Testament by Jesus Christ when they ask him what is the, the, the greatest commandment. And he, and he quoted this. And the truth of the matter is that if you love God with all of your heart, all right, if you love God with all your soul and with all your might, that, that you will never have a problem, see, in, in serving God. But, but you have to understand that there are influences that you cannot see with your eyes. There are influences that, that you, cannot, you, you, you cannot see them. That there is a world that you cannot see that you are actually involved in. You may say, oh, how, how can that be? Well, if you could just feature yourself as a, a person who, who was blind, that could not see. That, that might help you to understand that a blind person fully understands that they live in a world that, and they accept that world, but yet they can't see that world. Now, they, they are able to feel it and touch it and such. But, but nevertheless, that's as close as I can come to, to, to uh, uh, 
the, the feeling that, that you would have. So here it's possible for you to go through life and not, not see this world or perhaps go through life and not even be aware that it's there. And the reason why is because it's not tangible like, like the pulpit or such. Uh, you may wonder sometimes what's going on. You may know that there's something that uh, seems to be influencing. There's something that seems to be pulling, tugging. There are times when you struggle in your mind. I think a lot of mind-boggling things today come about as a result of God uh, talking in one ear and the devil talking in the other. And, and you hear voices, and you're not for sure just what voice to follow. Now, that's, that's Scripture. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians 12. There are so many voices in the world, yet without distinction. In other words, you hear a voice, and 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 you say, hey, there's something going on inside of me. It's also explained in Romans 7. So there is a strong voice that uh, that, that does come and, and, and speak out to man. Now, if you could love God at all times with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your might, you'd have very little problem in this world. Now, here are instructions and warnings relative to this. Now listen, all right? Now Jesus said that Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, that this is the, this is the pivotal scripture of the Bible. That means everything in the Bible hinges. We're like a hinge is a, is a pivotal point. Everything in the Bible hinges upon this. If you can't get this right, you're going to have problems. You will have monumental problems trying to serve God. Now, we did not have the ability to love, but now we love. Why? Because He first loved us. In other words, while we were out there cursing, swearing, drinking, carousing, doing our own thing, God still loved us. And we are here because of His love. Now, after we come to Him, we develop a love for Him. In other words, He calls to the altar. Very few people come to the altar because they love God. They come to the altar because they're afraid. Fear grips their heart and they're afraid that if they don't, that they might burn in hell. And, and, and I do feel that there is a problem in our world today of preaching, preaching about Jesus Christ and salvation without a clear, distinctive, sounding voice or warning about hell. You may say, what is, why? Because, you see, Jesus talked about hell ten times more than he talked about heaven. And what he emphasizes, I should emphasize, and I do believe that, that there should be a proper fear and respect for God in order for us to have the love that we need. Now, truth of the matter is, I probably wouldn't be behind this pulpit today if I did not have that proper fear and respect. I, I would be afraid. Like Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. In other words, he, he was saying, do I really have a choice in this matter? See, and because he, he knew that, you know, in other words, if you some way shun the good side, guess what's going to happen? The other side's just going to swallow you, going to vacuum you. It's going to pull you in. You don't really have a choice in, in, in the matter. It's, it's like water that, that that's, it always, it always seeks it, it, a, a level. 
And, and you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go out and say, oh, it's raining. What I want to do is go out there and, and somehow guide the water down to the, to the gutter. It's going to find its way. And, and, and that's the way it is in, in the spirit world. It's, you know, it's, it's like the atmosphere. The atmosphere is charged with all kinds of germs. That's why you have an immune system. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, if, if something breaks down in your immune system, and, and, you know, and, and all of a sudden you lost your ability to fight diseases. There's no such thing as going through life and dying of old age. And, and the doctor said, boy, he was lucky. He dodged all those germs. No, my friend, they're out there and they'll get you. They're out there. And, and it's that same way that when you neglect God and when you walk away from God, that there is a kingdom out there that will swallow you up and destroy you. And you don't have a choice in the matter. You absolutely do not have a choice in the matter. Now, so there's instructions and warning in order to keep this particular law vibrant and alive in your heart. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. This is the reason why we have a Christian school. Because we definitely believe that the law of God should be taught. And I've heard parents say, oh, but if you, you know, you teach so much, kids just take it, you cram it down their throats. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't cram religion down their throats, there'll be something worse than that crammed down their throats. And you can say whatever you want to. Because I've heard people say, oh, you know, people are brainwashed. Let me tell you something. We're blood washed. But the devil will brainwash you, totally brainwash you. And, and so you're to take your children, you're, you're to teach them. Now notice what it says. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be frontless between thine eyes. In other words, blinders between their eyes. So that, that what they do, they, 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 they can't see out. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and upon thy gates. Now... And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto thy father to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. Now, I'm just going to stop there, and then I'm going to go to the Ten Commandments. So if you would turn to Exodus 20, and we'll just read a portion of the Ten Commandments. In, in Exodus 20, all right, uh, the Ten Commandments starts out like this. And I think that the secret to following the thou shalt nots and such that are found in the Bible is a love that you have for God. And, and I will explain this in, in just a moment, all right? And God spake all these words saying, that's Exodus 20, I'm the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In which he brought them out of where? Out of Egyptian bondage. One of the greatest periods of slavery of all mankind took place uh, when the household of Israel was in bondage 435 years. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt make unto thee 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of any kind that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now you will find this word jealous, an adjective that's used here, just it just jumps out at you. God's saying, I'm a jealous God. And Paul uses this concerning the church. He said, for I am jealous of thee with a godly jealous, jealousy. And, and of course he talks to, about espousing them to one God, and that is to Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, thing, the, the thing that you have to understand when you, when you read this, and, and, and there is, a, there is a, a subject that's found in the Bible, uh, adultery or fornication, and while we think of it in a physical sense, the Bible uses it a lot of times in a spiritual sense. And it uses it in a spiritual sense when the fidelity of people turns away from God and toward the devil. In other words, they could commit spiritual adultery or fornication. Now, God says, I am a jealous God. Now, I, I, I remember one time preaching on this, and, and I, I told a, a, a story, and, and I, I think I should tell it again for the sake of the new ones who are here. And it's not something I like to talk about. I don't even like to think about it. But uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, it, it's something that happened to me several years ago. I was challenged, uh, you know, just by a good number of people around. I, I do a lot of teaching and preaching at camp meetings and places. And, and I was challenged uh, uh, concerning, a, uh, you know, my, my stand uh, about separation. And in other words, people were coming and preachers were coming and said, well, what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that? And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I want to have an open mind. I, I began to pray and seek the Lord about Bound some things, and I remember going to bed one night, and I had this on my mind. I really sought the Lord because a good friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, had had talked with me and challenged me. And that night, I had a dream, and uh, I've had several dreams that uh, have come to pass. Uh, this one, I knew when I had it that it had a spiritual meaning to it, and it didn't take me long to figure it out because right away a scripture came to me, and. Uh, what I dreamed was I, I, I went to sleep and and then of course God began to show me this and and what I, I I saw I remember walking downtown I'm not for sure what street corner I was on but some corner down around the Capitol someplace and I saw my wife and uh, I knew that she she did not see me and and I saw the the a car come around the, the Capitol Square and stop and I saw her. Uh, go get in the car with this guy. And I remember this horrible feeling that I had when when she got in the car, and, and I knew that she knew this man because immediately, you know, she slid way over uh, close to the driver's side, you know. And uh, I had, I, man, you're talking about a sick feeling, you know. I says, oh, my Lord, what is going on? You know, I just, you know, it's just, wow. So... Uh, I, I went on and, and, and I thought about this all day long and I said, now she's supposed to be at the house a certain time and I got to the house and she wasn't there and then 
uh, after a while, I got a phone call, and she said that she was someplace, and I, di- I didn't know what to do. I was just sick. I remember going to the house, and I cried, and I cried, and I said, now, she's with someone. And then uh, I remember her calling me and telling me that she was somebody's house. And uh, so when I got there, I, I got there early in what she, she said, and I saw this guy let her out at this house. So immediately I, I came up, and I, I confronted her. And uh, I said, now, now, Darlene, I said, uh, I have never had any reason to uh, to doubt your loyalty or your fidelity to me. Never had any reason. But, uh, and I said, I, I trust that I've never given you any reason. I said, I love you and I love you dearly. And uh, I said, but I... I happened to be at the wrong place, I guess, at the wrong time. I said, now, the, the guy who let you out of the car, I saw him pick you up downtown. And, and uh, she just hung her head. She said, yes. I said, do you know this guy? Yes. I said, well, I'm not going to ask you where you met him or anything. I just... I just want to ask you this. I said, did you and this guy uh, sleep together? And uh, she said, uh, I don't want to answer that. I said, well, I'm going to force you to answer this. I said, I want to know now. I said, you've been gone. You were gone a long, long time. I said, I've got to know. And uh, I remember her looking at me, and she said, Look, you'll have to forgive me. But she said, Yes, I. we, we did. We, we slept together. And, and I remember the feeling I had. It was the sickest feeling I've ever had in my life. And uh, I, I woke up. And when I woke up, my wife was in bed beside me. But I, I, I had this strange feeling about all this. You know, I just, like, it was so real. I said, you know, here she is. But, uh, you know, I, st- I still remember. And so while she was asleep, I, I was so disturbed. I said, Lord, I, I got up. I fell on my knees. I began to pray. I said, Lord, I, I rebuke this in Jesus' name. I, I hate this feeling. Even though I knew it was just a dream. I remember how horrible I felt. I had never felt like this in my life. I was so sick. I, I just felt like dying. So oh God. Well, at any rate, I rebuked this. And the Lord spoke to me while I was rebuking this dream. And he says, for I am a jealous God. And for the first time in all my life, my, my mind seemed to open up and I understood how God feels when He does not have my total love. I said, Lord, 
My, you know, for days, for days, that dream was on my mind. I'm sure I was not normal. I I couldn't be normal. I couldn't act normal. I, I just, there was just, it just, it was not right. I just felt terrible. I felt sick. I I just, I, I didn't even know how to act around my wife because it was almost like, you know, she had really been, she had broken our, that covenant, that marriage vow. You know, we stood before the minister and he opened the word of God and he said, for better or worse, through sickness and sorrow, you know, wealth and poverty, you name it. Unto death do you part. Will you keep yourself to Him only? And she said, I do. And I said the same thing. And I kept door. How can you do this to me? Well, it was only a dream. But I will say this, it certainly affected my thinking about this subject. Because every time that I see someone going astray, I think of this. I think, Lord, I've got to help as much as I can to keep this person out of spiritual adultery. And I know that sometimes, you know, you, you'd say, well, well, that pastor, boy, he, he really got upset about this. Well, there's some things you ought to get upset about. Right. You know, there's just some things that you just can't, you can't afford to play with. There's certain things that you, you must take them very seriously. Now, we love him because he first loved us. But, but you see, the only way that we can keep these commandments is is to make sure that our our fidelity, our love, our affections are always pointed toward Him. Didn't Jesus talk about this? You can't hold hands with God and mammon. See, Light hath no fellowship with darkness. And so then we find scriptures like 2 Corinthians 6, and I've read this, I, I'm trying not to read a, or even make reference to a lot of Scriptures that, that, that you're familiar with because we've already made reference to it. But Second uh, Corinthians 6, and, and I, I just feel that I need to, uh, need to talk about this a little bit. Second Corinthians 6, 14, But be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath... He that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now we have to understand when we talk about, about separation that this is not a minor subject found in the Bible. 
and, and I, I made this statement. I must make it again. It doesn't make any difference what you believe about separation. It's like holiness. I've heard people say, I don't believe in holiness. Now, that is a plain, dumb statement. Now, you may say, why? Well, follow peace with all men and men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord? And you say, you don't believe in holiness? No, what you, you, you may say, I don't believe holiness like Brother Grant believes it. Or I don't believe separation like Brother Grant believes it. But you must believe in separation. And you must believe in holiness. It seems strange to me, too, that, that holiness and separation is such a nasty, dirty word. And, and yet, the, the thing about it is, we have a holy Bible, and we serve a holy God, and we're going to a holy city, and it's separated from the other kingdom. There's a great gulf fixed so that, so that those in one kingdom can't get to that. We're talking about heaven and hell now. And, 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 and people want to... People want to go to the holy city to be with the holy God, and they like to go to to the holy Bible when they get married and when they get buried, and a few little other times in between, but not much. And yet they say, "Well, we don't have anything to do with holiness." Now, you know the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, if you make statements like that. You are feeding your flesh on more than popcorn. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I have been preaching a long time, haven't I? How long have I been going? That's a quarter to nine. That's what the clock says. But I, I tell you what, I was talking about savorless salt, and I haven't even gotten there yet. But we may just have to pick up Sunday night on it. But what I want to do, I want to follow the leading of the Lord on this because this is imperative. You see, now there are four classes of people found in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to go to the scriptures on this but I, because I think that everybody here would be in agreement with this. Okay? The Bible speaks of a wrong person. And so they're wrong people. That's, a, that's one class. So the Bible speaks of people who are wrong, and they do wrong things. Okay? And then the Bible speaks of another class, similar, because the, the people are wrong, but they do right things. Now, you may say, how can you be that? That simply means they have not been born again. Therefore, doctrinally speaking, they are not right. But they are traveling toward God. God is leading them. See, no man can come to God except the Spirit draw him. So, even though they're doctrinally wrong because they have not come to the light of the true revelation of truth, uh, you know, they're walking in the light that they know, and even though they may be doctrinally wrong, they are doing right things. For line must be upon line, precept must be upon precept, here a little and there a little. So, you, you know, they're wrong people, but they're doing right things. Now, there's a vast difference in the way the Lord looks at a wrong man doing a wrong thing and a wrong man doing a right thing. You see? See, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But the Bible says, whosoever confesseth his sins shall find mercy. But whosoever hideth his sins shall not prosper. 
So there are wrong people doing wrong things, and then there's wrong people doing right things. And if you didn't do some things right, you never would reach the point in which God would save you. Because you have to be obedient to God and to the leadership of that spirit. Now, we go into the other side of the story, the other side of the coin, so to speak. You have right people. They're doctrinally right. In other words, they've come to a revelation of what they need to do. They have done that. And they continue to walk in it. So they're right people doing right things. Now ultimately, this should be the goal of every Christian. To be doctrinally correct and to do correct things. Now, we want to take it a step further. We go to the fourth class that's found in the Bible. And that is right people doing wrong things. Now, you call them right because they're doctrine right. In other words, been baptized in Jesus' name, been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, come to church, pay their tithes, talk in tongues every now and then. Every now and then, I said. <clears throat> you know, God gets a hold of them, and scares the daylights out of them every now and then, and so they run to the altar, and they, they pray back through. But uh, they don't seem to get the drift of what's going on. So they're right, but they're doing wrong things. Now, I pose this question, and if you've gone through our Christian stewardship class, you know that this is found in our Christian stewardship tapes when I teach the lesson on traveling in the right direction. Now, if you were God and you had to bless a person, you're not God, but just just for a moment, think as much as you possibly can like God would think that is within the boundaries of the Scripture. If you were God and you had to bless, naturally... The ultimate was would be that you'd bless the right person doing the right things, and there would be no blessing for a wrong person doing the wrong things. Now, here's where a lot of people get confused. Okay? Listen carefully. Now, if you were God, though, and you had to choose, who would get the greater blessing? Would you choose to bless a... Wrong person doing right things or right person doing wrong things? Who would you bless? I can prove to you scripture that God will bless a wrong man doing right things above a right man doing wrong things. And see, this is the reason why that a lot of people, when they get a little bit cold in God, they can look around and they see churches that, that do not have all the light. And yet the people be, seem to be so blessed of God. And they say, well, these people are blessed of God. They must be right. Right and wrong can be measured only by one. By one criteria. And that is the Word of God. Because sin is a transgression. It's a violation against the Word of God. But, but sometimes people get a little cold in God and they say, oh, what about this church over here, this church over here, this church over here? They may be a long way from the truth, but they may be walking in all the light that they know. You've got to be very, very careful when you just start knocking everybody in the head that doesn't believe exactly what you believe. Because there are many of these people that are blessed of God and God's hands upon them and God's instructing them and God is leading them and God is drawing them. This is the only method that God has to get them saved. 
Then I've seen others who were, you know, right, doctrine right, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But they didn't seem to want to really get with God's program. You know, it's always, I don't know about this, what Pastor Grant talks about. You know, what about all this? You think you've got to do all this stuff? I remember talking to a man one time, blue in the face. He looked at me and said, you know, I'm going to try to do all that stuff you're talking about. So he said, stuff. I thought, man, that's the way, you know, he just won't do all that stuff. I knew he, he wasn't getting it. He just wasn't getting it. I was only trying to help the man. You know. But sometimes even Christians can develop a little bit of a bitter spirit when they see people who are do- doctrine and right being blessed, and while they're doctrine and right, things are not going so good for them. Now, the thing that you should do is get your eyes off of people and keep your eyes on God. And don't be comparing yourself to people because you'll get really confused and mixed up about that. But I, I've, seen, I've seen that happen before. So you see that there are that people can be doctrinally wrong. Okay, you young people back here, uh, perk up and listen to Brother Grant, okay? I'm serious. I'm too much carrying on. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> it's necessary for us to, to talk about this because, you see, Satan does his greatest work among men. Through the children of disobedience. Read first and second Peter. Read Romans one. I say he does his greatest work through the children of disobedience. In other words, can anything destroy the body of Christ? Absolutely not. Because greater is he that is within us. That he is within the world. The only way that a Christian can possibly be destroyed is for him to surrender his will to the other kingdom. See? In Luke 17, there's a sound warning given. In Luke 17, and this this is just a, a simple little scripture, but Jesus is talking about his soon return. He talks about Noah's day and talks about Lot's day. And I talk... I, I taught on that several uh, Sunday mornings ago, two Sunday mornings ago. But re- in verse 32, he said, remember Lot's wife. Now remember, I prefaced all of this by reading 1 John 2. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Remember Lot's wife? What was the sin of Lot's wife? What did she do that was so horrible? What did she do? She made a wrong turn. I mean, that's just how simple it is. She just turned down the wrong street, so to speak. In other words, the angel of God were, were, the angels were taking her out of the city, compelling them. If you don't think that God and His kingdom wants to see you saved, you read some of these stories in the Bible. Read the story about Jonah going to Nineveh. You think God wanted to save those residents of Nineveh? You better believe He did, my friend. Do you think God wanted to spare Lot and his wife and daughters, you better believe he did. But the angels of God says, you go out, and while you're going out, while Sodom and Gomorrah is being destroyed, don't you dare look back. 
See, the, pro- the problem in looking back is that, see, that's where her heart was. See, there's a spiritual lesson to be learned. And that is that, you know, oh, let me tell you something. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, and the thing about it, she didn't want to leave. And so while she was going out of the city, she made this fatal mistake. It was like there was something inside that says, oh, you've got to look back. What did she do? She thought, if I can just one more time, just see this one more time. You see, Christians have problems like that. I've talked to, I've talked to men since I've been pastoring. That, that you know, they, they come into the church and, and they, they've been hooked on pornography, for an example. I remember this happening several different occasions where, where men would say, you know, I just, I just had to go buy one more book. One man who was a well-meaning man, he said, I don't know what happened to me. I went into this store and I stole one because I couldn't, I couldn't pay for it. It was like the clerk would be the eyes of God looking at me. But don't you understand that God can see you anyway? I know, but he said, I just, just one last look. And did you know that most Christians who are enticed, this is how they're drawn away. See? See, a man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. See? When lust is conceived, see? It bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. You can't trust your flesh. And, and quite often, you know, the flesh is just one more cigarette. Just one more drink. You know, you can quit tomorrow as well as today. You know, that's, that's, that's the way... And you see, but, but the, the, the message of the Bible, and this is, what, this is what the Lord is saying when He warns us about His coming. He said, remember Lot's wife. In other words, don't make this mistake of feeling. Just one more, just one more look. He said, you break ties with the world. You make a clean sweep and burn all your bridges behind you and walk out of Egypt's land toward the promised land. And don't you dare look back not one time. Why? Because in such an hour that you think not, the Son of Man may appear. Now this is what he says. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that that night... That in that night there shall be two in the bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Is that what he's saying? He said, you don't know when it's going to happen. And don't make this mistake of feeling just one more sin. Don't do that. You see, this is the reason why that, 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 that Jesus talks, like in Luke nine sixty-two, He that putteth his hand to the plow and looketh back is not fit. For the kingdom of God. You see the Lord doesn't care what you were before he found you. But after he has purified you. And you have taken your vows. So to speak. What he's saying is. No not one more night stand with anybody. You're mine now. And I'm jealous of you. And I can't tolerate Looking out the portals of heaven to see when you will approach the throne. 
Now, this, this is very serious stuff. You see, looking back, and you see, this is what happens to, to Christians. Now, I've got, I've got to hurry along here, but I, I'm really into this. And, and I hope that you understand, I really am. When I say I'm really into it, I, I really feel the Spirit of the Holy Ghost into this. In what, in what I'm doing. Now, now, there is an awakening in our world concerning separation. The intercessors of America, I get this, Brother Rich Thomas uh, had, was responsible for me getting all over America. People, I'm talking about people that are not altogether involved in the truth. Many of them are not. Many of them are. But they're praying. They're seeking God. I have a King James Version. It's a red letter edition of the Zondervan Study Bible. Now, this Bible was not written back when separation from the world was, uh, was uh, you know, a well thought of type subject. On November 7, 1991, after a year long struggle with cancer, Donald C. Stamps went to be with his Lord and Savior, according to Philippians 1 21 and 23. Though he did not live to see the complete full life study Bible published, he did persevere to finish writing the notes. We gratefully acknowledge that his vision, his love for God and the Word, his zeal for truth and righteousness, and his preserving faith enabled God to use him in a crucial way for the realization of this study Bible. Thus we dedicate it in his memory this edition of God's Word to the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom, righteousness, and truth throughout the world. So this, the notes in this Bible were written in the 90s. Who were they written by? Well, a man by the name of Donald C. Stamps. Who was Donald C. Stamps? Donald C. Stamps was a conservative Trinitarian Pentecostal. And if you, and the truth of the matter, in Trinitarian Pentecostal ranks, there is much emphasis placed on worldly activities by the, these people. So you have to understand, here's a man who's writing the notes of this Bible. It's published by Zondervan. And he was doing this in the midst of a lot of hostility from his brethren. Now, I happen to check on that. That's the reason why I know. I checked with Brother Curry. At our publishing house. He's the one that told me this. All right. Now. In Romans 1. Okay. uh, We find God's wrath against the Gentiles. And because of what they did. All right. I'm just going to read something out of this Bible. I'm going to give you somebody else's opinion. Not Brother Grant's. Okay. So. uh, We find that God turns people over to a reprobate mind. According to Romans 1.28. All right. And then, verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now, when we say commit such things, we're talking about deceit, uh, backbiters, fornication, uh, boasters, proud, spiteful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural affection, unmerciful. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different sins that are piled in here, like like Galatians 5, when it talks about the, the works of the flesh. All right. All right, now what Paul is saying, who 
Knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now what the Bible is saying is that people who do these things are worthy of death, but people who take pleasure in the people who do them are also worthy of death. I want to read you his notes. Have pleasure in them that do them. Paul's last words on general human sinfulness is God's condemnation of a condition even more damning than the practice itself. Supporting, approving, and encouraging evil things by taking pleasure in the moral action of others. This disposition is the ultimate in lust and evil. Sin becomes entertainment. Aha. Lovers of pleasure, see. The word have pleasure means they are pleased with or they delight in or they give approval to. And it points to the casual enjoyment of the sins of others that prevail in our human society. Today we know that great harm is to produce by the portrayal of immorality that dominates the entertainment media. Yet many consent to it and derive pleasure from it. Being entertained by watching other people sin and engage in ungodly actions, even while you yourself may abstain. This brings you under the same condemnation of God as those who engage in the evil practices according to Scripture. You know, your pastor's not so narrow-minded after all. Now, I'm not naming many things tonight, and, and I had not intended to. Iniquity is intensified in any society where sin meets with no inhibition from the disapproval of others and where people enjoy watching it. Now, you may say, what are you talking about? People who engage in this, they walk out of this, they are separated. And what what do they do? They're like Lot's wife when they say, just, I won't go back there, but just let me look. Just one more look. No, I won't go back to Sodom. But there's something inside of us that says, just one more look. Now let me tell you where the, where the church world is in general today. And I'm sorry to say this has also invaded some Pentecostal ranks. When Moses was about to instruct the Jewish people to go into the promised land, he sent out ten spies. This is in Numbers 12 and 13. And the thing about it is when they went out, two spies came back and said, we can take the land, giants in the land. Ten of them came back and said, oh, we can't do it. And they, they made this evil report. And the Bible says when Joshua and Caleb came back and they went into Moses' tent, and they began to talk about this, that they heard something. They went out. You know what the people were doing? They were down on their knees crying. And you know what they were saying? God, give us a leader. 
that will take us back to Egypt. And this is the cry of many congregations today. Pastor, just let us loosen up a little bit so we can go back to Egypt. Just lighten up a little bit. Now you're talking about pressure on, on Moses. There is no pressure on a pastor like the pressure he receives when he sees his precious people that he's responsible to God for, crying out for a leader to take them back to Egypt. Let me go back to the bondage where I was. If I can't go back there, let me just have pleasure in. Let me just watch one more time. Now folks, this is coming out of the Bible. This is not the gospel according to Pastor John Grant. It's coming right out of the Bible. Savorless salt is this. It is salt that's lost its power or its ability to affect what it touches. And if you want the power of God to flow in you, you need to keep yourself clean and unspotted from the world. You need the Holy Ghost to invade your mind. You need to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with every fiber you have in your body. You get wrapped up in God. And let me tell you something. When you're wrapped up in God like that, the world doesn't mean anything to you anymore. All of this fussing and fighting and bickering and such that people do, that's for the world. And I've told people quite often, if that's what you want, there's a world full of people out there that will mix it with you. But when people come to Calvary Gospel Church, they want a sanctuary that's clean, a place that's holy. They want a place where they can lift up their hands in the sanctuary of Almighty God and shout the victory and run the odds and clap their hands and feel pure in their heart. They want a God that's real, a God that's alive. They want to be able to go into the Simpson Street and the Broadway area streets and talk to the people that are hooked on drugs and alcohol and the vices of this world and say, we know a Savior. Oh, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Remember Lord's wife. Don't you dare look back. Oh, hallelujah. You know what happens to a lot of people, though? After they serve God for a while and they come to church, you know, they just kind of get, uh, what should I say, they complacent. They just kind of die down. They don't see the importance of seeking God and serving God. I know sometimes in our Christian school, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's a fight. I've got to tell you, sometimes it is. Sister Grant's in charge of the uniforms. Now, let me just tell you something. And this is no reflection on, on Sister Martin, Brother Eckenrod, uh, uh, Sister Rossing. Anyone working at Christian school, you know why I have Sister Grant in charge of this? It is because I'm, I know the pressure. And, and I know that, that, that when pressure is placed... That she's not going to bend. You may say, do you trust her that much? I trust her as long as she and I stay together on this. And I know that because she's in our house, my house, or we're together in our house, it's going to be that way. You follow what I'm saying? It's difficult. Sister, 
Sister Rossin can tell you. Sister Martin can tell you. You know, and some of you, some of you, some of you students come and say, "Is it okay if we do this? Can we watch this?" And sometimes we say, "Well, no." How come? You know, there, there, there are times when you just, you just have this gut feeling, so to speak. You know, you, there are certain times you know something's not right, but you can't say, "Well, it's wrong because." And and and, and you have to understand one thing too that. Students can get carnal, and when they're carnal, they don't. If you gave them the right answer, they wouldn't understand it. I'm serious with you. Now, that does, I'm not. I'm not making this statement to say we should never try to explain. I think that's what teaching is all about, and we should. But what I'm basically saying is this: that 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 when it comes to the dress code and such in our Christian school, I I have Sister Grant over this. It's a very very sensitive thing and a very delicate thing. But let me tell you something, young ladies. All of you will live to see the day in which you will go put your arm around Sister Grant and say, Sister Grant, I appreciate you doing this. The students who fight the dress codes and such in the the Christian school are usually the ones that end up in moral or immoral situations. You say there's no connection? Oh, yes, there is. Can I just unbutton this blouse a little bit? Does, does it hurt, you know, if I watch this, you know, they have a movie, it's PG. And you know, it only has four or five swear words in it, that's all. That's all. And you're willing to go ahead and watch this? You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and you want me to stand up and say, okay, I'll be your leader. I'll take you back to Egypt. No. If you're asking that of me, you're calling on the wrong man. I can't do it. I've gone too long, I know. I just really felt in my heart I wanted to talk to the whole church. Listen, there are some things that that are meaningful. I've got to tell you, you know, when I first gave my heart to God, there were a whole lot of things, you know, that I, I looked at. I should I do this, should I not do this, should I do this, should I not do this. And, and you know, my, my, my pastor said, well, this is all right, and this is... No, you shouldn't do this. And, you know, and my mom, no, don't do this, John. No, you know, boy, I just walked through life. You know, it's just almost like a little child when, when the parents said, oh, no, you can't touch this. Don't touch this. Don't touch this. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. Don't, no, 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 don't touch this. Oh, don't drink that poison over there. You'll die, you know. And uh, I didn't understand when I was first saved. I look back now. I've got to tell you, quite often on my knees, I think. For a pastor and for a mom that said, No, you can't do this. My mother didn't have much education because she's still alive. I really love and appreciate my mom. She didn't go 
you know, all the way through high school. She's not a well-educated mother from the standpoint of, you know, the English language and such. But she's always been real sensitive to God. Let me tell you something. I really get to heaven knowing that I had restricted my activities and made it. And I was on the safe side and to get up there knowing. I said, get up there, not get up there. <sighs> knowing that somehow I made a wrong turn. Disqualified me in the presence of God. You may say, oh, Brother Grant, you're forgetting about mercy. I know all about mercy. You forget about grace. Let, let me tell you something. I'll open my Bible to the subject of mercy and grace. And I'll take on the best in this congregation. I am not ignorant in those subjects. I know the teaching of it. But grace was never licensed to sin. And I understand that nobody could make it without mercy. But I know that mercy is never extended to people who try to take advantage of God's mercy. Finish this. In fact, I, I'm going to call on Brother Keith Manley to come. He's going to do this. I know I'm calling on him uh, without any notice, but I, I just want to go someplace and pray. Praise God. And without a doubt, if that's Brother Grant's feelings, I think that that would be a good thing for all of us to do. Just go find a place to pray and allow God to inspect our hearts individually. Whether you want to come to the altar, that's fine. If you want to turn right at your chair. Hallelujah, Jesus.